Today we, we return to the very familiar theme in Christianity of suffering. Imagine coming up to somebody who's never heard of Jesus Christ before, or Christianity for that matter, and saying, hey, why don't you join my religion? Our God came to earth and was tortured to death and died, and he calls you to join him in that kind of suffering. He even tells you to take up his cross and follow him to Calvary. And the very image and depiction of our faith is that God on the cross. Come and join us. You're thinking, well, hey, I don't want to join a religion in in whose your God is defeated by people. I want a religion whose God is greater than the people. And hey, I certainly don't want a religion that suffers. But this is the reality. This is truth itself, capital T, truth. The same truth for all time and all peoples and all places is that there is a God who took flesh, became a human being, suffered and died so that God might be glorified and we might get to go to heaven. And then he asks us to participate in this saving mission by willingly suffering ourselves. Not that we have to take on any additional suffering, there's just suffering in our lives, but to offer that suffering as if it's a cross on our back that we need to carry. But of course we want to just keep throwing the cross on the floor and ground and running on or if it's in front of us, stepping over and moving on. But he wants us to carry that. He wants us to take our suffering to him. That it might be redeemed. All right. Why do we find suffering so detestable? Peter certainly does. He tells Jesus, oh Lord, not you. You're not going to go to Jerusalem and suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Suffering is really, really important, right? It's just a fact of life. We don't like it because it hurts physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, and we've been dealing with it all of our life. But unlike, say, sleep or eating, two things that slow us down, maybe get in the way, imagine if you never needed to sleep, you never were tired, and you could just be super productive and do all kinds of stuff, or you never needed to eat, you just could use all that focused time and energy to do something else and productive and play games or work or whatever it is that you wanted to do. But we never think of eating or sleeping as an injustice. It's something that's imposed upon us, but we don't seem to mind it. When it comes, however, to suffering, which all of us experience, we always feel like it's such an injustice. Something's wrong because I'm suffering. We don't think in terms of something's wrong, I need to go to sleep, or something's wrong because I'm hungry and I need to eat. Even though suffering is just as much a part of our life as eating and sleeping. And the reason why we have the sense that suffering is an injustice, it's an imposition placed upon us that somehow is wrong, is because when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he didn't mean for them to suffer. It's in our DNA not to suffer. The reason why we do is because of sin. And so there's this something within us that says this is an injustice. It's an injustice that I'm suffering, whatever form that is. And we naturally want to reject it and correct it so that there isn't any more suffering. And here is the deal. That suffering is God's medicine. It's the way in which God gets the human race to be saved is through suffering. And I know we don't like that answer, but the alternative is instantaneous death and damnation. You have a choice. Suffer, go to heaven, or not suffer, die immediately and go to hell for eternity. I think all of us will choose option A, suffer and go to heaven. 
And this is the choice that Adam and Eve had from the garden. God only gave Adam and Eve one commandment. Not ten commandments, not the Bible, just one. Don't touch that tree. Don't touch it. If you touch it, you will surely die. God tells him, I will kill you if you touch that tree. Don't touch it. Of course they touch it. They eat its fruit. And so now they have to die. God is a promise keeper. You have to die now, Adam and Eve. But instead of taking your life right now and then destroying Eden and starting over or just going back to me and myself, infinitely happy as God, he says, all right, Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you another shot, but it's going to involve suffering, something that's foreign to you, something you haven't experienced yet, suffering. And what's more, you're going to live very long. You're going to live for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Bible says like a thousand years or something. And you're going to suffer. And through this suffering, you will still die because I told you you would. But now you can be joined to me for eternity. And this is the nature of suffering. It wasn't intended by God in the beginning. He meant for all of us to never experience suffering. But because we chose sin, and every one of us chooses sin every day, in our thoughts, in our words, our deeds, what we fail to do that God wants us to do. The consequences must be suffering. And it's God's act of mercy because the alternative, instantaneous death and damnation. But through suffering, united to Jesus, given to him, God can do amazing things. So think of the suffering in your own life in which great things have come from it. When you were born, this little tiny nine-month-old travels through the birth canal. That's like a train wreck. That's super painful for that little guy. That's you and me when we're being born. Being squeezed through that little hole. It's like, ow, 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 ow. It's like being thrown under a bus. We begin life with suffering. We're born, we get spanked on the rear so that it opens up our lungs and we can start crying, more suffering. This is like, ouch. But look, we got to live. We got this whole big, beautiful life and all experiences. But it's suffering. We're suffering when we had to be potty trained. We're suffering when we had to learn to sit at a table and eat without throwing the food on the floor. The little child who's crying is suffering. We suffer. And this is just a fact of life. And when we suffer for some greater good, greater good comes from it. As children, we suffered through schooling. Maybe we went to a lot of schooling as adults and then we established some career that was worth it. Maybe we suffer for loved ones to bring about healing and wholeness and communion or whatever it is for some greater good. And we see this over and over. Athletes are suffering all the time to bring themselves to peak physical condition. We suffered to come here. We suffered to pray every day. We suffered to have spiritual reading every day. We suffered to go to confession. But all of these are really good things that make us much, much better human beings. And woe to us if we didn't have any of it. If we didn't have it at all, again, we would have been lost a long time ago. You and I would never have been born. So suffering is this God's medicine that brings about this ultimate end, which for those of us who will love Jesus and serve him is eternity in the beatific vision of heaven, where for eternity, trillions and trillions of years later, 
there's still no suffering. Suffering is only on earth. And this is your last chance to use it constructively. And so Jesus says, don't throw down your cross, Peter. Pick it up and follow me. Pick it up, guys. Pick it up and follow me. It'll be terrific. Now, here's the problem that I have and that you have. And I have it as much as you have it. It's really hard, isn't it? It's super hard. It's super hard. The helplessness of suffering. We don't know where this particular suffering is going to go. Is it going to get worse? Is it going to end in my death, the death of somebody else? How long will it last? How bad will it get? We have no knowledge or control of it. That helplessness is really, really hard for us. The unknown is really hard for us. St. John of the Cross in the 1500s writes about the dark night. The dark night of the senses, the dark night of faith. And this is, many of the saints pass through these dark nights. The dark night of the senses is, once you pass through this, you no longer sin. Or you don't consciously sin. Not moral, not venial. And you do what God wants you to do in the moment. And this is a real death to self. And he describes it as death, a dark night. As if you're going into a dark night with no light whatsoever, and you don't know the way forward, the way out, or whether you're going to stay here forever, and it's scary. And we've all been there, and we're there with whatever our suffering is. And then he says, but if you should go into the dark night, and you should persevere in faith through it, what you come out into is an exponentially better life than what you had before you entered it. To live without knowingly sinning. To live in a state of virtue. And he says supernatural things begin to happen. And your prayer life goes into a kind of communion with God that you could never have in a sinful life. And then he talks about the second dark night. The dark night of faith. And this is where for some of the saints, and not all of them, but for some of them, God will put them into a terrifying moment where God completely leaves them and makes them feel as if God doesn't exist or has never existed. And so their life has been a waste, a complete waste, that they'll be damned. And on faith, so no understanding, no knowledge, just faith, because understanding and knowledge are gone now when you're in a pitch black room and you can't find your way out. Now you're just stuck in faith. I believe, I believe, I believe. Therese of Lisieux, this is documented so well for her. She's 24, she's dying of tuberculosis. Incredible physical pain to drive tuberculosis. She's on her deathbed and God has left her, abandoned her. He wants to give her the gift of the dark night before her death, the dark night of faith. And so she feels as if God doesn't exist, that he's completely, that he's nowhere, will not answer any prayers, whatever consolation she might have once had from God. And we all receive consolations that we're not aware of until God takes them away from us. Then we become aware that, wow, I was under some form of consolation that I was unaware of. God removes it all. And then Satan appears at her bedside and tells her, you wasted your life. God doesn't exist. And if he did, he doesn't love you. You completely wasted your life. You stupid little girl. You could have gotten married. You could have had children. You could have been happy. 
but no, you chose this, and now you're going to go to hell with me. To which Therese of Lisieux just is grabbing her crucifix and saying, Jesus, I believe, Jesus, I believe. There's nothing, there's no logic, there's no understanding, there's no control, total powerlessness. I believe, I believe, I believe. Then when she finally breathes her last, Satan disappears. Blessed Virgin Mary and her guardian angel appear to her and take her home to heaven. Suffering is hard. It's truly dark and hard. But it's really important for us to understand how redemptive it is. That if I will suffer for Christ, if I will fulfill my obligations that Christ has given me in my walk with Him, then not only will good things happen for me, but they'll happen for you too. In my neglect, in my sins of omission, the failure of things to do that God wants me to do, I look at you and I think you're suffering because I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm not carrying my cross. And if I did, you would go much further in your walk. And the same is true of all of us, that none of us are on an island alone. God made us to live with family and community and co-workers and friends and people in the church. And to the extent that we, like Jesus, carry our cross, our suffering to Calvary, without complaining, offering it up to Him, knowing in faith, because we can't understand anything else, just in blind faith, that this will do great good. It will. It will. Amazing good. For you, for your family members, for people you don't know. And it will do great good for eternity, both on earth for as long as it lasts, and in the kingdom to come. So don't throw your cross down. Don't complain about it. When you suffer, offer it to Jesus. Give it to him. And understand what a gift it is. What a gift it is. That united to him, it's transforming your life. And it's saving the lives of others and helping them to be transformed and to come to Jesus for all of eternity.